All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 396. Jason Lingren is back and is back. He's with me. And uh, St. Fortune Germain is with me. And uh, as we promised, many of you submitted questions. Uh, we have well over 100. I don't think we can cover that many in one show. We may do a follow up, but this show's about that. Fortune's here with us. He's going to answer the questions that have been submitted. And welcome, Jason. And a beautiful good morning it is. Yeah, I can almost talk this morning. I don't know. I feel a little off today. Maybe Fortune will carry the day. Maybe. All right. Are we ready to do this? All right, Fortune. You ready for rapid fire? Sure. All right. Here we go. I would like to know what Fortune's thoughts are on the man known as Falconelli. Does Fortune know if Falconelli had written any other materials under a different pseudonym? Any of those materials that are written are in the Vatican or have been lost. Uh, I don't know what his real name was. He was an esotericist, and he had researched the majesty and the myth and the mysticism behind the building of the cathedrals, which uh, those cathedrals were built uh, originally on the ideas of the pagan temples, and they they were borrowed by Catholicism. But the easiest way to explain this would be that when you have more than one person or many people in the same place and they're all thinking and chanting the same thought at the same time, and then there's a very, very large space and it magnifies that energy and that sound to go out into the world and therefore achieve what people are thinking about. So Fulcanelli was researching the majesty the mystery and the mysticism of the cathedrals. And that's not really a hard one. And we, we don't have too much information on him, but uh, he, he got very, very close to the truth. I've always assumed that hidden within his name is a nod to the mysterious luminary known as Vulcan. I think Steiner and others have talked about it in an equally mysterious way. Do you feel like that name's a nod to the idea of a luminary called Vulcan? Well, Vulcan is, that's alchemy in itself, right? The furnace, the alchemical furnace, wind, fire, earth, water. So the four elements. All right, let's keep going, Jason, or we're barely going to dent the hubcaps here. What is the relationship of mirrors to alchemy, and how much do we actually know about the historical Nicholas Flamel? First answer on that is very easy. Everything about Flamel was uh, fabricated later on, and he did not achieve the actual transmutation physically of the elements. And as we pave the way for later uh, questions, if an uh, alchemist gave you the formula and he showed you how to transmute the lead to gold physically in his hand, and he showed you and did it, and you put it in your hand and use the same uh, formula and the same method and the same uh, prayers and meditation fragments to achieve it, nothing would happen because the power to transmute anything depends more upon the higher vibration and the love in the heart of the alchemist than it does on the actual formula. And... Number two, let's see. Ask me the first question, the first part of that again, please. What is the relationship of mirrors to alchemy? 
Mirrors are whatever you want them to be. You look in the mirror and you will see you. What you see is a dependent upon the vibration. The black mirror or the scrying mirror was used uh, in black magic. And a mirror can be, if you choose to make it so, a gateway to other things. But then again, you can open uh, doors and portals for either bad or good. So if you take drugs or you overindulge in alcohol or other forms of things that are not necessarily good, you could be opening uh, doors to things that are dark. And of course, the only things that can hurt you are those that you invite in. So the mirror is only a reflection of what the person looking at it is and what that person's vibration is and how you choose to use it like anything else. It's neither bad nor good, but what you do with it. Who invented alchemical symbols and how do you decipher their secrets? It depends what alchemical symbols you're talking about. The word alchemy itself, alchem means out of Egypt, and that's where the word chemistry comes from. So uh, from Egypt or out of Egypt, because that was the first known place that it had been picked up in the ancient world. But alchemy was practiced in various shapes and forms uh, in places like Babylon and in many other places long before Egypt had begun. And it had actually been practiced uh, in Atlantis. And whether it was the transmutation of physical substances changing one substance into a lower substance into a higher or more valued substance. This brings us to what we're experiencing today in today's world, the dark ritual or the light ritual. Alchemy is more about spirit. So without spirit and without thought or intent, you're going nowhere. So the actual transmutation at the end of the road of lead to gold, and that is only for the pure of heart, and those who have reached enlightenment or nirvana, the more important part for all of us as alchemists is to learn how to use spirit or the divine, a divine will, and transmute that into something good in life, which is known as a miracle. What is beyond the darkness of space, or what they call space? NASA images are CGI and so many lies about space. What? Is really out there. Beyond our world, there is an infinite amount of other worlds and other dimensions. Spirituality, like anything else, is infinite. Even in this world that we live in, where you are convinced that it is finite, the moment that you live in is infinite. And no matter how deep or far you go into that moment, you can always go deeper. So, Teachers like Jesus or the Buddha who had achieved the Christos, which means the anointed, that is Christ consciousness, Krishna consciousness, what the Jews call the Messiah, Mashiach, Yehoshua, the Mashiach, that means that they had achieved a non-earthly vibration, the, the Christos, and that is what allows miracles, physical miracles, open miracles, the merging of heaven and earth. So we talk about people like Jesus and the Buddha who were elevated souls because they chose to go that far. And as far as they went, there are infinite vibrations of consciousness and love beyond that. And it all depends on 
what you do with it, how far you choose to go in this lifetime. If one wants to learn about real, old-school alchemy, where would they start? Well, if you start in the books that are about physical transmutation, you are on the wrong road and a person is destined to failure because it's not, it's not about the physical. It's always about the esoteric, the divine, and the spiritual. So as we see the world we are living in, we view it as separation consciousness because you, time and space, give the illusion of being separate from the divine, which you are not. What time and space give the illusion of is that all that surrounds you is concrete. So even though you may touch the wall and feel it is physical, it is actually spiritual, it is esoteric, and it is a manifestation of divine thought and will. And therefore, when somebody reaches what we said was the Christ vibration or even goes beyond, then you have the ability to manipulate time and space or to change it for the good. But to start, you'd have to buy a book on spiritual alchemy. And I don't know who's writing those books because most of the true teachers do not write and they're not going to lay down those foundations. Uh, they might start you out and teach you basic principles of spirituality. But that is a very good question. And as far as the alchemical symbols in the last question, there are many alchemical symbols. There were Taoist and Buddhist wizards. There were Egyptian um, alchemists. Uh, there were also Babylonian alchemists. So if you want to go to anything with Egypt and ancient Egyptian alchemy, Research Serapis Bey, the great uh, Egyptian master who was uh, the uh, patron, the pagan saint of healing. Uh, you could also go even further back and you might want to research Tahote or Ra Ta, one of the ancient priests. We're going to get 100 emails asking for that to be spelled. R-A-T-A, Ra Ta, and Tahote uh, it's usually spelled T-H-O-T-H, but it's pronounced Tahote or Tahute. Before we go on to the next one, do you feel like the old way of master apprentice is still available anywhere in this world? Sure, if you find the right one. What are your thoughts on mistletoe tincture and what is the best way to create it? A tincture of anything would be dipped in and let sit in alcohol for about 72 hours. You'd have to grind it up a little with the vessel, the little vessel, mortar and pestle. Then you add alcohol in it 72 hours and then you let it sit. And as a matter of fact, a very, well, mistletoe has many, many properties. And what you could do is go in and look in a dictionary on herbology. And you could also look up homeopathic mistletoe in the homeopathic physician's desk reference. And anytime you make one of these tinctures, uh, the best thing to always do with anything you're working on, especially healing, is let there be light to begin. And then when you're finished, thy will be done. And a great prayer to make this effective and a hundred times more effective than it actually is at the moment. And that will, that will help lock in not only the vibration, but the esoteric element of it. Well, it took us to seven questions to get to one of the three biggest questions. Go ahead, Jason. Please expand on the concept of the afterlife. <laughs> you die, they put you in the ground. 
Well, that, that makes the assumption that everyone is going to the same place when they pass away, but they're not. There are those souls who were, will be finished here, and uh, their mission is finished, and they can go on to other places uh, or other dimensions. And in many, many ways, you are in third dimension consciousness. The next dimension above is fourth, which is physical body, but a raise in vibration. So higher dimensions can see the lower, lower cannot see the higher. So in the fourth dimension above us, it is a raise of consciousness with physical body. Fifth dimension is where you go when you pass away from this bodily form, but it is not death. Uh, it, because in the universe, there is only rebirth and eternal rebirth and eternal life. And that is where those souls go to be life review and healing from past life and preparation for next incarnation. When you are finished, uh, the teachers, the masters, or the Buddhic plane is the sixth dimension. When you die, it is important to know where you're going because we discussed this in our first um, alchemical speech that if you know where you're going at the moment when you die, then you have a chance. If you uh, go into, you become afraid and you uh, go into the light, then you uh, come back to earth because you're not ready to go on your own. Fear is the ultimate killer, fear and judgment. If you, you don't have to go anywhere. So when you are in the void and you choose to create, it depends how brave you are in that moment of total darkness and quietness and what your intent is. And then you can choose to not come back. You can choose to go to another dimension. You can turn your back on the light and look out at the universe and just say, I wish to go home. And then your soul will be returned to the dimension that it came from. But you don't have to go anywhere. You have choices when you pass away, but you have to know what those choices are um, before you go so that you can apply them. And just in life, people might tell you there is choice A and there's B, but there are always other choices. I have read differing versions of exactly what you just said in Buddhist texts maybe even specifically the book of the so-called book of the dead although there's so many translations and richard gear seems to be on a lot of them from steiner uh, from the light of egypt and i wanted to ask one question if the upper can see the lower how come we can't see any lower or apparently can't see any lower than ourselves here that is a very good question but there is second dimension consciousness which is even denser and first dimension I looked for the answer because I've read exactly what you said, that if you took what some might call the astral plane, they have a clear view. It is claimed, and this is from masters, not unlike yourself, that make claims that they are a bit beyond the average individual in this place. But what I came away wondering is, have we just gotten to be such a slum? <laughs> we're, kind of, we're kind of way down the ladder right now. Do you, do you think that's part of it? We are not the lowest in the universe, and we are not the lowest in the galaxy, and we are not the lowest in consciousness. And just to those who are listening, when we met, I never contacted, I never said I was a master or the master, and I never said I was a saint or any of those things. I just said I know the principles of both spiritual and physical alchemy, 
and I know how to learn my lessons in joy and happiness, and that I choose to share and hope to share with others. And as for the world we're living in, this is because of victim consciousness. Those who choose to take their power into their own hands, those who choose to make the right decision, those who choose instead of blaming everyone and as the Greeks would say, seize their destiny, seize their fate. A man can become a god if he seizes his destiny. You take responsibility for your own actions and you make sure we make good choices in the moment. And a true, somebody on the true spiritual path, when they ask for something for self, they make sure to ask for the same or much greater for the rest of the world. And that speeds up the prayer and the intent into coming into reality. Uh, because it, uh, even though it's something that is asked for self in a good way, it turns that into for uh, service to others at the same time. And that is basically what the universe operates on, service to others and selfless giving. And as far as the world we are in, we are here because this is what everyone has created at the same time but we can always choose in the next moment, no matter how bad the situation is to recreate something much better and go in an upward direction. What is the safest way to transmute rainwater into drinkable water naturally? A good intent and blessing over the water. And if the person's vibration is high enough and it doesn't have to be someone who's already reached Nirvana, uh, you can take your finger and put it in the water with a good intent. And if it's an honest and fervent prayer, uh, you can put it in. It will help change the water greatly. And that is one thing. Water comes from the word in Hebrew. The word water is part of the word for heaven. So mayim is the Hebrew word of, for water. And shamayim, sheba shamayim, is heaven. Uh, and that's why when uh, they do the paternoster, which is, seven different uh, psalms or prayers in Hebrew that Jesus took to simplify prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Avinu Sheba Shemayim, our Father in heaven, and part of the word for heaven is water. So water itself is part of heaven, is fluid, is spirituality, and all water is holy. Uh, so, but just give a little precaution. Be very, very careful with what you're doing and a very, very safe way if you, if you choose to go the physical route. Some hydrogen peroxide or some iodine in the water. Either or and let it sit for a while. And then there's the old alchemical process of just leave water out in the sun for a few hours. And that will, uh, the ultraviolet rays and the oxygen uh, in the water will help kill a great deal. Uh, another way you can do it is uh, put water in a silver pitcher and that's the way the ancients used to do it because the silver would kill much of the bacteria in there and boiling water if you can always helps too because it changes it it helps the water so there you have you have many ways of physical and spiritual alchemy i read recently that the sunlight method was finally employed in africa unfortunately through plastic bottles but for everyone listening now consider what that blessed holy water is inside a church who blessed it what was their intention when they blessed it and an inkling of what that means in the first place is shown to us through the work of dr emoto 
Go ahead, Jason. My friend said he saw a reptilian at Bohemian Grove. What do you think? Well, that is a place of power and lower vibration, power, wealth, and uh, desire. So the three lowest forms all in one case. And in terms of seeing a reptilian, in terms of in our dreams and in our daily life, uh, there are things that you can see which are from lower and outer dimensions, which are dark beings, so that that would be no surprise. And just seeing it, there are people that are very, very in tune out there that are very, very highly clairvoyant in many ways, and they are actually able to see many of these things in daily life. But if you don't fear it and you don't judge it, it can't hurt you. If you have no attraction to it, if you do not invite it in, it can't hurt you. Some place like the Bohemian Grove is, it's, it's a very dark place with very bad energy. So, uh, and, and there, is, there is ritual, a dark ritual there of all forms. So uh, these entities will be attracted to that. But uh, they only have the power you give them. Darkness has no power. It leeches off of the light. So much for Margaritaville, right? Go ahead, Jason. My question would be in regard to our true history. What is the real story? I am fascinated by Tartaria and especially the ancient civilizations in the Americas and the Middle East. Form at the beginning, at the beginning, spirit could come and go into an out of form until they became so in love with form that they were trapped into it uh, at the beginning. There were civilizations that were very, very spiritual, and even though they had become trapped in form or chose to remain in form uh, because that was uh, their addiction, they began the process here of incarnation in Lemuria. And at the beginning, those beings were hermaphroditic. They had very, very high telepathic um, abilities. And if you wanted to kill somebody, you just thought about it. Later on, in the next, uh, after the first or the, the great deluge of Lemuria, uh, and you can see uh, remnants of this, the faces on Easter Island were built by the Lemurians after their continent sank, and that was a memorial to the people that they had left behind and remembered. And then the next one was Atlantis, and as form became thicker and the vibration became lower people started living less time and they became their their spiritual powers their telepathic powers slowly uh dissipated in to the point where uh machinery took its place and the use of crystals and energy that they thought they could control but they could not and then came the next flood. Uh, there, there were many destructions, uh, and this is what happens when you toy with nature. So you cannot control nature, and that was what you knew as Noah's flood, and that's why the Atlanteans lived longer. And the next step after that is the, and I'm making this short, so I'm giving the most known and the three most known societies that have existed, and now you have our world here. And this is, even though it's a hard time and there are many hard choices to make and to work through, uh, because this is a time where karmic debt has to be paid 
you still have a great choice uh, and a great uh, ability to take all this chaos and transmute it into oneness, into something that one can advance with more quickly and uh, more quickly and more intensely. So in a quicker way, you can do and transmute more of your karma more intensely and more quickly than at most other times. Can you explain how a chameleon diamond changes its color? In the darkness or in a safe, it is one color, and then in the light is another. What is the relationship between light and this crystal? Wow, there's a question. It is the matrix at the center of the crystal, and it is the vibration that it is endowed with. And for another program, uh, I'm asking the two hosts to write this question down so I can research this further and I can give everybody the exact process for another show. It's the vibration of the stone, and it's right now, as quickly as I can go into it, it's the actual vibration of the stone and the various colors that work off of one another. And then according to what, what the light is, whether it's in darkness or in light and, and how it is refracted. Well, I would point out, Fortune and Archon, well, maybe I shouldn't bring this up. Those have been in conversations you and I have had. I think you know what I was going to ask, but we'll just move on. You can ask. If not, we'll cut it out. Well, we were going to talk about some of the legendary. There are some legendary tales about the previous St. Germain in your bloodline, uh, roughly 40 generations back. Or no, I, no we're, te- we're 10 generations back. Go on, 10. Oh, it's 10. Um, so we're talking 1700s. Is that right? Late 1700s to early 1800s. His life spanned three centuries. He was born in the late 1600s and lived into the early 1800s. The reason I was bringing it up is because in many of the legendary things written about him is the tale of the diamond, uh, which you and I talked about. Do you care to relate anything about that, which to me is a similar, there's a relationship in, the, in that and what you were just asked. Louis the 15th diamond. Uh, the king had a very large diamond with a flaw in it. He said to St. Germain that now if you could remove the flaw from this diamond, this would increase the diamond's value greatly. And then I will know you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. And within a month's time, he brought back the diamond and the floor was gone. It is a very large diamond. Louis XV kept it. It had been passed down to his grandson, Louis XVI. There is also a blue diamond that I have in my creation, which is uh, the same size as the Hope Diamond in the Smithsonian. I have a green diamond that uh, belonged to my great-great-great-uncle so many generations back. And I have a red diamond, which is one of the philosopher's stones, because a red diamond of that size does not exist in nature. And the philosopher's stone that was created is a rod stone, and it has no flaw in it. But our St. Germain of the 1700s was one of the great alchemical masters of the time in physical alchemy. But as we speak to this, his knowledge was more in and devoted into the terms of spiritual alchemy and changing the world, physical in terms of healing, in terms of potions, in terms of homeopathy, in terms of herbals, in terms of meditation techniques. So 
I know that the world is enamored of the physical, but our our focus here is uh, in terms of using the spiritual alchemy to manifest the physical. And when we do that, uh, which is what St. Germain's real message was in the 1700s, then the miracles happen and they come the way the universe uh, decides to gift it to us, which is in the universe gives it to us in the way our souls, not the way we expect it, but in the way our souls need it. And those are the miracles that are granted us. And that, as we said, is what the true alchemical process is about. Is it possible to regain the knowledge of tapping into the ether for free energy? You don't have to do that to regain the knowledge of tapping into the ether for free energy. Now, a good magician or alchemist is already at that point because they are in touch with the ethers and they are in harmony with life, which is creation and the divine. Uh, but uh, all people have to do if they really want to discuss free energy and see what free energy is, is you can find these things on the net. There are many of the free energy machines. Tesla was a good one. Uh, he he was able with his world tower to light up a city through electronic transmission in the air. So, or what you want to call the ether, because he understood that. So he was a very, very good technician with universal energy and the principles of universal forces. And where he ran afoul was he wanted his gifts to be free to humanity. And uh, the Rockefellers and uh, J.P. Morgan and Thomas Edison wanted to charge. But free energy is available to all who want it. And that the only thing that stops us from achieving the things that we want to on Earth are, is our mind. So if you go to the Hasidic master, the, the creator of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, who was a true teacher and finished his mission here, a uh, very eccentric man, where your, where your thoughts are, shall your life be, as within, so without. Your outer world is a reflection of what your inner vibration is. And that is open to anyone who wants it at any time. So if you go and you want to be biblical, biblical, seek and ye shall find. And you can go on the net today and you can find all the principles of free energy that you want. Recently, Fortune, there have been numbers of electricians and gadget guys who have actually showed how to produce free energy. I think the last one I saw was about three months ago, but I'm not much of a gadgets guy. Jason, I'm going to let you carry in. I've got to go upstairs to check on mom. I'll be back in about four minutes. Can you guys just carry it? I have heard that the recipe for the philosopher's stone is the distillation of urine. What are your thoughts on that? The recipe for the philosopher's stone is the spiritual vibration of enlightenment, nirvana, or the Christos, the next vibration beyond. One is earthly. The Christos is a non-earthly vibration, and urine is an alchemical uh, process in itself because if you go to the East and you work with many of the Hindu and Buddhist gurus, uh, they drink their own urine on a daily basis, and there are many Hindu gurus and yogis that live on nothing but 
uh, urine and goat's milk, and maybe, maybe just a little bit of fruit when it falls off the tree. But urine, when it comes out, is in itself a homeopathic mixture. It comes out sterile. Uh, those who drank their own urine in the Middle Ages and ancient times were able to arrest the process of leprosy. It did not reverse the damage, but it did stop the infection because uh, leprosy is a bacteria. It's known as Hansen's disease. And the way many of the people in the concentration camp survived was they drank their own urine. So whenever someone is sick, flu, pneumonia, or any other disease, uh, the urine drinking is a perfect remedy if you're able to do that. And uh, it works as an immune process. It will stimulate your body to correct what is wrong with it. So people who have had flu and many, many other problems in the early days of the AIDS epidemic, many of the original AIDS patients went to the urine drinking and had great success in either prolonging their lives or actually surviving and living on and on without uh, medicine through the urine therapy. Please ask Fortune for simple manifesting techniques that really work to better our lives. Those manifesting techniques can be heard in the last episode that we did on alchemy, my second episode, and part of the first episode. And there are too many to mention, but go back to the particularly the last episode I did, and all of those techniques are in there. How should one respond to a greatly increased number of synchronicities? Are they an indication that one is on the right path? Two, 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 one, 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 numbers like that, yes. One, 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 one means total synchronicity. Everything, you, you keep seeing that, that is a very, very good sign. And at that time, uh, a fervent prayer is very, very good. Two, 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 uh, you're almost there and you're on the way to one, one, one. A series of nines is meaning the end of something. It's all coming towards the end of a certain process. And for a spiritual person and a great teacher who knows no fear, 666 is like the ultimate end of something. It's nothing to be feared. It means just there's nothing there. It's the end. Go on to something else. 911 is uh, a call for help. It's an emergency. It means pay attention. And there are many, many other numbers. But none of this is ever meant to be negative or a curse. So when someone is seeing the universe speak to it, and this is the way uh, the universe speaks to you uh, through signs, through numbers, through synchronicity, to let you know where you're at. And never, not really as a chastisement, but just to tell you where you're at and, and where you need to go. Are cymatics and the effects of vibration discussed either directly or indirectly in the old school of alchemy? All of life is vibration. Everything we do here on Earth has a manitou or consciousness or vibration to it. And everything, it, that vibration, which is assigned by nature in terms of other animals, the world we live in, everything can be changed. There is nothing that is impossible. All is possible in the universe. And our vibration determines what we are, what, we're, what our outer world will be. So every time 
we are as an individual living in something, the stronger our vibration, our light becomes, which basically means the more love that you have in your heart. So those people in the East who talk about chi energy, your chi is not uh, something that is developed through anything else but the vibration in your heart, which translates into your kundalini energy, and that is your chi. So the stronger and more energy, more love, more light you take into your heart, the greater your vibration will grow. And everything is vibration, but this is a general question, so ask something more specific and I can give you a more specific answer. Will Fortune please explain the difference between an ascended master and a manifested master? Ascended master is ascending master. Everybody on earth is a, this is a school. This is a hard school room. It's a fast classroom for souls that choose to learn at a uh, faster, more accelerated rate. It is a more intense classroom. It does not have to be a violent or raucous classroom, just as when a teacher walks into a room, it basically takes on the uh, vibration of a school teacher. So many, many years ago, uh, in the New York City school system, I saw teachers that had some of the most difficult students and those students were very, very good with them, and they thrived and did well. And then there were other rooms where they were in, and there was other chaos. So an ascending master, we're all ascending masters, and that is all our path here to learn and finish and go on to the next level. But to enjoy ourselves and learn our lessons in joy and happiness and abundance while we are here, manifested master, I guess, would be somebody who takes form like Mother Mary or Jesus or Lady Nadia from Atlantis and they come down and they manifest in human form for a short time to bring a message or to manifest good works. Uh, an ascended master is someone who's finished his mission here and they are now in the sixth dimension Buddhic plane. As an alchemist, what is your most prized practical tool of the trade? very good question. His most precious tool is wisdom, divine wisdom. And on top of that, what is the more precious tool? Well, there's nothing more important ex except the idea of kindness or love or friendship itself, which are basically all of the same thing. But wisdom, divine wisdom is your starting point and your base. And the most precious tool that any of us possess is uh, actually our hearts and our desire to be good and to do good, no matter where we're at in terms of consciousness. I feel like that was kind of a physical question, um, and you gave a good answer, but I can't imagine you without your lab on a more physical plane, I would add. Well, let, let me explain to the listeners, my lab that I have, is a physical lab, and I am not transmuting lead to gold in my lab. Uh, what I'm doing in my lab is medical research because I am a doctor by um, later in life, or a little later than most doctors, I became a medical doctor, and I also work with herbs and uh, homeopathy and various other things. So I have my own complete research lab for myself, 
and I have a research organization behind me that I own and direct and my own actual lab in the United States that does actual work for me when I need it. However, I do have my own lab in my own home where I work on remedies. They're mainly homeopathics. I manufacture tinctures and other things for patients as each patient needs it at the time uh, based upon what their diagnosis is. I work with other doctors in the United States who cannot diagnose their patients. So I diagnose one patient today from the States, and I live in England now, and that patient has been everywhere and is very sick, and no one can figure out what is wrong with them. So I get paid a very nice fee to go over the papers, and they've been everywhere, and then I tell them what my diagnosis is. And then if they want me to do the actual work, because many times there is no cure in regular medicine for them, I will mix up the protocol and work with them on it. And if you would like to give a little testimony, call Crow, you may or you may not. I'll leave it up to you. We'll bring it up at another time. The problem is, is if I do that, we're going to be overwhelmed. And the truth is, is that you're pretty much booked up. And for a thousand emails to come in is not going to be helpful for anyone. But what I can say is what I have witnessed firsthand is impressive at the highest level to include one evening when we were talking, he said three words and I was blind to my own lifetime until I heard those three words. And I knew all at once it was true. I knew what happened. I knew how I got here. It's a bit amazing that I didn't know that beforehand. But it's been quite impressive. And I think I'll leave it there, Fortune, because truly, if I go further, it will be overwhelming. Okay. Well, just to let the listeners know something about me, I have never lost a patient that was under my care. And one patient was was a star patient a long time ago, and he had his heart butchered in an operation, and he only had 25% heart function. And I worked with him, and he had a very, very good go of it. And people had said, how did you get this man up and moving? I have, And he was actually roller skating as a 70-year-old man in a roller rink. And he did very, very well. And we were also very good friends. We met through being friends first. But you have to know where to look. So in the old days, when before all of the current medical testing, I had the luck to work with teachers who knew how to do, look at a patient and look at his body, look at his skin, odor. When the patient would come in years ago, they'd say, don't shower or bathe. The doctor wanted to smell, taking a look at urine on its own at a certain time. So there are many, many things that doctors used to look at. And I'm not saying that's to be all and end all. However, by the time I sit and I speak to patients and I ask certain questions, about what they have had in life uh, that the usual MD will not ask. What was this? What was that? Can you tell me about this? Were you vaccinated? What medications did you take? And some questions that most MDs will not ask. So, and another thing is when I get the papers, my people put the papers and the documents together for me, and then they've been everywhere already, so I have a very good direction on what to look at. And then at that point, if I can't figure it out, I'll want to speak to the patient on his own. I'll take a look at their energy and I'll do some uh, tune-ins from a distance to the body and I'll see 
actually what I can find out on my own and what's going on there. Next question. I actually think that's going to do it for hour one. All right. That's what I thought. I'm going to add this. This is firsthand. What I have noticed about what we call medical care in the country I live in, the United States, is night and day from what I've seen from people interested in spagyrics and alchemy. And basically, a better way to say that would be recognizing that everything vibrates, that spirituality permeates everything. These things are absent uh, in our kind of drug-riddled medical system. And one of the things I hope for someday is that we get back to alchemists everywhere. Just pick up your phone book. That's kind of a joke. uh, And find your local alchemist somewhere. It's a shame that we've gotten so far away from it. But that is the end of hour one. And so, Fortune, do you want to add anything before I close up hour one? We'll be back for hour two. Well, we can make a joke. We can say modern medicine is great with panegyrics and a plethora of platitudes. (laughs) They're not too... Not to slap, you know, they're, they're pretty good with a scalpel too. It's just, they're not always doing the right thing with it. But anyhow, that is hour one of it. 396 episode 396. Join us for the full episode where you need to be a member. Uh, everybody who's a member now, even if it's just for one month, you get shoot the moon, the movie, which has won nine awards for free. When you log into the website, there's a shoot the moon link up top. You can watch it right in the website. And by the way, if you had Apple TV or something else, you can request a movie key from us still. But anyhow, I hope you'll join us for the other side. We are only on question. I think we're going to pick up on 20. We have over 100. Anyhow, hope to see you all on the other side. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
the enemy of knowing. Come.